Pop Pickers, welcome once again to the Revelation Station podcast. This is episode 2.2. My name is Gary Starr, and would you please welcome Simon Heldrich? Yay! Hi, everybody! It really doesn't count when you cheer for yourself, Simon. Does he not? No, no, no. It sounds a bit egotistical, to be fair. Anyway, this episode, you've dragged me into it yet again. A semi-beautiful, sunny afternoon. I'm again stuck indoors. What are we talking about this week? This week, we're talking about the second solo album to be released by a member of Genesis. This is the first one released by an ex-member of Genesis, and it's the first Peter Gabriel album called Peter Gabriel, sometimes referred to as Car. Or Peter Gabriel 1. We could do a whole episode just devoted to what Peter Gabriel got up to after he left Genesis and before he released his first solo album. But Or just before he actually left Genesis, because there was a lot going on there, wasn't there? Exactly, there was a lot going on. So during the recording of The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, Peter Gabriel had a few personal issues. Um, his wife nearly died in childbirth, um, and the band were very unsympathetic to him. Uh, he toughed it out, they recorded the album, and then they went on tour but he still felt a little bit alienated from the rest of the band. And on tour, they were having a bit of, he was having a bit of a bad time, but he completed the tour, which finished in Besançon in May 1975. And after that, Peter was gone from the band. Yeah, he made a, a, an announcement in one of the music press, didn't he? A big letter he explaining the reasons why he was leaving and the, the fact there was no animosity with the rest of the band. He just felt uh-huh. it was time for him to move on. Um, he did. And saying that you know he wasn't ruling out working with them ever again in the future. It's just that yeah. at this point in his career, he felt time to move on and do my own thing. Yeah, in typical Peter Gabriel fashion, he hand-delivered a letter to the music press on the August the fifteenth, nineteen seventy-five, um, which was called "Out Angels Out." And I mean, yeah, like you said, he basically saying he wanted to spend more time with his family and, and grow cabbages. Yeah, I mean that's classy. The rest of us would just put a turd in a box and send it to every member of the band, wouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. Or is that just me? That's just you. That kind of Wait, guy. Hang on a minute. Don't open that package you? you got this morning. <laughs> was that you? That one. Yeah, well, the cat's out of the bag. Sadly, it wasn't a cat yeah. or a bag, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall um, when Pete went and spoke to the band and told them that he was planning to leave. Funny you should say that, Simon, because we've just received a recently unearthed archive audio recording of that very meeting. Another one. These are all being leaked, like the one from Steve Hackett last week. Yeah, I have my own, like, deep throat within the system, and he's leaking me these things out, so wow. we're fortunate to have these recordings. I mean, nobody else has got these. It's, it's incredible that we've got access to these, I think. Shall we, shall we play that for our listeners now? Yeah, yeah, sure. That's it, guys. I quit. I'm going solo. Solo? So long. No, wait. We can't split up. Think of little Phil. He's not a child. He's a drummer. And I can't stand you guys stifling my crazy ideas anymore. Stifling? We're not stifling you, Pete. There you go. Stifling me again. We weren't stifling you. But if you must go, go. Yeah, we don't need you. We can find a singer anywhere. Oh, yeah? Where? Phil can sing. Phil? He can barely drum. And don't think you were taking your flowery costume with you. Phil's going to wear that on stage from now. Oh, I'm bloody not, you know. Shut it, you'll do as we say, or it's to the back of the stage again for you. I mean, I think that sums up exactly what was going on in the band at the time. That's exactly how I imagined it, to be honest. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it doesn't Oddly, it doesn't me. really sound much like them, but, you know, mm. yeah. 
I mean, they were different in those days, I suppose. Well, they were younger, and I guess the audio's degraded over time. What's that on, like a tape, cassette tape? Something along those lines, I imagine, yeah. 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 And, of course, it's had to be smuggled out of somebody's rectum, so... Obviously, yeah, of course. So, he left left the band, um, and the popular myth is that he spent two years off the music business, but he actually was really fruitful in that time. Did a lot of work with a poet called Martin Hall, um, and they wrote loads and loads of lyrics together. Um, the only one of which that ever sh- saw the light of day was Excuse Me. From oh, his right, help. okay. Um, but he worked with um, with Anthony Phillips and Mike Rutherford on demos. Um, Phil doing some um, drumming for him. They basically decamped to Ant Phillips' parents' house and wrote a load of songs. Um, none of which ever got used. That's a shame, really. I mean, the thing is, if he had used them, I suppose we'd have had a very different first album from him. To be honest, there are enough demos, and enough of them are available if you look hard enough, that we could probably do a whole podcast just about those demos. If they were available. Um, well, they are available if you look on the line. On the on lines. The line. Wow. Is that on the the interweb? On the tinternet, yes. But yeah, so he wasn't actually sitting around doing nothing he was actually doing loads and loads of work on demos and things um that he never released which seems really odd that you would write and record all these songs and then not do anything with any of them there was quite a while there where he was you know working quite heavily and this was even before he started work in reality on this album yeah yeah i mean none of the tracks that he worked on on the demos uh, ended up on this no so it's really weird wasn't there a point where he was working with Charlie Drake? Yes. So he released a single with Charlie Drake. Now that single, uh, interesting, that single, because it includes Robert Fripp from King Crimson, Phil Collins, um, I think uh, Mike Rutherford's on there, and Sandy Denny of Fairport Convention, all playing on that single with Charlie Drake. Was this uh, My Boomerang Won't Come Back? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't that one. It's called You Never Know. And it's, uh, yeah, it's actually quite a nice little pop song. <laughs> Funny you should say that. Hang on. I've got a... Uh, uh, yeah, hang on. I've got a tape here of that very meeting about Charlie Drake. Um, here, I'll play it for you. Oh, cool. Come Oh, hi, Tony. I, uh, <laughs> I just thought I'd, uh... Shut up and f***ing sit down, Peter. I've not got all day. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Nah, Peter, my boy. I've called you in today because I'm a bit concerned about your current musical output. My, um, my, uh, musical output? Yeah. I understand you're working on an album at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's an album with Charlie Drake. F***ing astronaut! Mm, no, that's that's Charlie Duke. I, I'm talking about THE Charlie Drake. F***ing comedian? Are you a comedian as well? This better not be a comedy album because Phil does the funny voices. No, it's not a comedy record. And we've got some great ideas. We've already recorded a single with Phil doing the drumming. I'm really excited. I think this could be the best thing I've ever done. The best thing? With Charlie f***ing Drake? Yes, that, that's right. I've roped in Bob Fripp from King Crimson, and we're going to create a concept album based around Charlie's character, The Worker. He, he's on a journey through a mystical land, you see, and he needs to complete tasks to appease the god of the higher plane he finds himself in. But at the end, he comes face to face with God, and it's him. Or not. It's a bit ambiguous. 
Uh, it's loosely inspired by the labours of Hercules. So you're working with Phil? What about Tony Banks? Why does nobody who lives Genesis want to work with Tony? What does he do to you all? Is it... Look, look at this dolly. Show me where he touched you. What? No, it's nothing like that. It's just musical differences. Well, if that's your story. Well, uh, like I was saying, we've recorded the first track on the album. Phil did the drums. Right, I've heard enough. Stop work immediately. Genesis fans don't want to hear Charlie f***ing Drake. I don't care what Genesis fans want. I walked right out of that machinery. I'm an artist. I won't be stifled. You should have seen Charlie at the sessions. He was something to observe. I do not believe this information. All your friends will think you're a nut. Have you told Jill about this? Before this project, I'd been going from day to day like my life was in a rut. Are you telling me to cut the connection to Charlie? Yes. Yes, I am. I want you to write something more mainstream. Something we can make money from. Well, Bob won't be happy. Come in close, Pete. Come here. Mm -hmm. I don't f***ing care if Bob's happy. I need a hit from you, Gabriel. You've been hipping it up, growing cabbages for far too long. Fire Charlie f***ing Drake, ditch Bob f***ing Fripp, and get recording a f***ing Peter Gabriel album. Well... Can I at least release the single we've recorded? Have I paid for this? Uh, yes, yes, Tony. It's all recorded and ready to go. Right, well, I suppose I'd better release it and try and recoup some of my costs. But on the condition that you get me a f***ing hit single. <sighs> OK. I suppose I'll just have to trust my imagination. Come! Hello, I'm looking for... Oh, Pete, there you are. Grab your things. I've come to take you home. Uh, great. Thanks. Get on to it, Peter. Remember, hit single or else. Okay. You've left the door open. Sorry, sorry, it'll soon be shut. Charlie Drake. Can't believe I had to listen to that. I had no choice. Just when I think I'm free of his crazy ideas. At least the Genesis boys aren't like that. Stories about journeying through mythical lands, I ask you. Tony Stratton-Smith here. Yeah, yeah, put him through. Hello, Tony Banks. What's that? You want to do a solo album? Okay, I'm listening. What's it about? So yeah, so that's Tony Stratton-Smith, who was still Peter Gabriel's manager, because he was still signed to Charisma, obviously not wanting to release Charlie Drake. So that's that. obviously that's why that concept album, Charlie Drake, was never released. So then he, but, uh, Peter yeah. went on to do his own stuff? He did. Eventually he, uh, he teamed up with Bob Ezrin, um, who's quite a famous producer. He At that point he'd worked with Kiss and Pink Floyd. Yeah, he was a really big rock uh, producer, wasn't he, at that yeah, point? Yeah, exactly. He worked with Deep Purple. Recently, he's still working right into the 21st century. He's produced the Deftones album and, yeah, he's, he's a really big rock producer. Um, so this album um, was recorded in Toronto and London, wasn't it? Yeah, so the, the recorded the majority of it in Toronto um, between July 1976 and January 77. They came back and did the uh, the London Symphony Orchestra featured on a couple of tracks. Oh, right. So I'm presuming that's why they recorded in London as well. Now this album, uh, on its release, which was uh, February 25th, 1977, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. February 25th, 1977. And it got to number seven in the UK charts and it got to number 38 in the US charts, which is pretty good going. That's right. Both of those chart positions was better than The Lamb had achieved. Yeah, so that's quite, that's quite weird, considering that you yeah. would imagine it's the same fan base following yeah. him from Genesis. So why did they yeah. think this album was better than The Lamb, I wonder? Well, 
perhaps people had heard the album and it... So maybe some of the fans came over to this because uh, of the single Salisbury Hill which was released. Yeah, I mean that's entirely possible because it's it's good little pop song that one, isn't it? So it's a nice little song that everybody can get behind. It's it's neither one mm. thing or another. So, you know, you can imagine it would appeal to a, a broad spectrum of people. Yes. Yes, but we won't talk too much about that. We'll come into that in a, in a little while. Sure. So, although Peter says that um, the sessions was really good and he remembers it was a happy time, he did feel that the album was overproduced. Um, yes, I remember reading an interview with him and he was particularly concerned about the last track being overproduced, wasn't he? Yes. Here Comes the Flood, yeah. Um, and he did release a couple of stripped-down versions of that, but... It's still a track he performs quite regularly live, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, Here Comes the Flood and Salisbury Hill are tracks that he pretty much performs on every tour um, in various incarnations. But the Flood particularly, he's tooled around with quite a lot, hasn't he? Mm, Altering the sound of it until he's... I'm still not entirely sure he's happy with it. Yeah, but probably not. But yeah, so he's, he's pretty happy with it. It got really good reviews in the press. It generally they liked it um, and bear in mind this was released about two months after Wyndham Wuthering was released and you put these two albums side by side could they have sounded any more different <laughs> no very different albums aren't they yeah he toured this album in two halves he started on April the 30th in the UK um, and then he started the second leg on August the 30th with a completely different band um, basically the band from the album played on the first leg and then he changed the band completely on the second leg was that robert um, fripp and tony levin yeah bob fripp played on the first leg we didn't play on the second okay uh, tony levin i think played on both i oh, mean tony okay. levin tony levin has worked with peter gabriel on every single one of his studio albums now he's he's stayed with him all the way through and this was the first time they'd met that was um bob ezrin basically got all the american musicians in and Peter chose uh, Robert Fripp and Larry Fast to play keyboards. Um, so they kind of built the band between them. Yeah, because this was this was a ground-up build, wasn't it? He didn't come in yeah. with his own session band already installed. He went exactly. into the. He basically says, "I'm going to do an album. Get me a band." And they created this band to produce this album. Yeah. And Bob Ezrin's obviously worked a lot in the U.S. music scene, so he pulled a lot of U.S. musicians in, and Peter Peter wanted a bit of European influence as well, so that's why he chose Larry Fast and uh, uh, Bob Fripp. Um, but yeah, it's a good band. Got together, they were happy with it, did a really fairly quick session, and recorded most of the tracks live. Um, really? The music. Yeah, wow. Most of it was recorded as live. So. Wow, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, you say they wanted um, a more European feel to this, um, and we'll come. Shall we come now to the album cover? Yeah. What I do mean, you think of this cover? It looks like he's being abducted. <laughs> it does. It yeah. does. I mean, he's sat in I the mean, back of a Lancia Flavia, which yes. which they shot in black and white and then yep. painted in by hand. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really, really good iconic cover. This is better than any cover that Genesis have ever done. Well, it is, but it's done by some of the same people, isn't it? I mean, they, it's um, Hypnosis, again. I mean, they've done quite mm. a few of the Genesis covers. Um, yeah. So anyway, the, the car itself, the Lancia Flavia, was owned by the guy who actually ran Hypnosis, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he's the guy who took the photos um, and designed the cover, Storm Ferguson. It's a very striking cover in a non-striking mm. way. I don't know. I think, like you say, it looks like he's been abducted. That ethereal quality to it and the mirrored contact lenses he's wearing as well. It's kind of... I think it's a really effective image. It looks like he's being abducted, but like he doesn't mind being abducted. So he's <laughs> yeah. sat in the back with these, with these eyes 
just going, oh, being abducted again. I suppose so. But that's Peter yeah. Gabriel, but isn't it? He? But it is a good album cover. I mean, you know, it's 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 iconic. It's it's not one of those posters you're going to have on your wall, but it's mm. not easily mistaken for another album, is it? No, definitely not. And this is what hypnosis actually do, isn't it? They make some of the most yeah. striking album covers ever. Almost any yeah. album cover you can think of, which knocks your teeth out, is a hypnosis mm. cover. Yeah, exactly. You know, the division bell for yeah. one. And yeah, most of Pink Floyd's. Floyd's. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they seem to have cornered the market on iconic covers. Yeah, but isn't it interesting that, like I say, I think most Genesis album covers, I think, are pretty rubbish. There's a couple that I like. There's but... a couple standout ones, but generally speaking, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's like the one we were discussing last week. Voyage yes. of the Acolyte, it looks like yeah. it's done by somebody's nan and they didn't want to not use it in case they offended their nan. You could say yeah. that about some of the Genesis covers, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, you could. But I wonder if that's because they are deciding the image by committee, whereas Peter Gabriel is just, yeah, I want it to look like this. Do that, please. Yes, I like that. No, I don't like that. Yes, abduct me in a car. Exactly, yeah. I wonder if that's... That's how it, you know, and all the Peter Gabriel's album covers are fairly striking in the same way. Mm. I um, wonder why he used that car though. Why not use something more iconic, you know, like a BMW or or a Rolls or something, something that will grab people. But he chose quite a plain car to use. Yeah, but you can't really see the car, can you? So, you can see parts of it, but I suppose the point behind it was he didn't want to draw your attention to the car, but what's going exactly. on in the car, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which was Peter. Gabriel being abducted and not caring about it, apparently. <laughs> apparently so. Maybe they just they just wanted a picture of him in the car and Storm Ferguson went, yeah, just use my car. So yes, it's a good album cover. This was one of the last Peter Gabriel albums I ever heard. Um, in fact, I think it probably was the last Peter Gabriel album I heard until he started releasing new albums. I had it on tape for ages. Uh, didn't have the vinyl version at all, and the track order is completely different on tape. It is, it is. Oh. It's completely different. Uh, yeah, because on the cassette, the track listing went Moribund the Burgermaster, Salisbury Hill, Slowburn, Waiting for the Big One, then Modern Love, Excuse Me, Hump Drum, Down the Dolce Vita, and Here Comes the Flood. Yes, yeah. So quite quite a difference in track listing there. Yeah, it's really good. Because Hump Drum's now moved up to third to last track. I mean, the last two tracks are in the same place. But the rest of them are pretty much, after Salisbury Hill, they're pretty much switched around, aren't they? Exactly. Why did they do that, do you think? Because they, they did really mix it up, didn't they? Timing, I think, trying to even out. What, just what it fit onto a C60? Quite probably, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but, but although it was one of the last albums I, of his that I bought and heard, it was the first one I bought on CD. So it was really weird. Yeah. And that track listening to the CD, but I've got used to the CD now. So. so, shall we go into the tracks? Yes, let's go straight into the tracks. First track is Moribund the Burgermeister. Yeah. 
Well, this is this is an interesting track to start with because to me, when it starts, it's almost like a leftover from the Lamb Lies Down, in in yeah, its was, in its structure at the beginning. Mm. It sounds like something from that album, doesn't it? Something because like, it's a um, little weird and a little odd use of instruments. You can't quite tie yeah. down what some of the instruments are. Obviously, yes. if you know what these instruments are, you probably can speak, pick it up straight away. But to the layman, they sound a bit odd and otherworldly, don't they? Mm. Yeah, it's a really spooky vibe at the start, isn't it, as well? It's like, oh. But yeah, I was going to say the same. It sounds like the, oh, the, the supernatural anaesthetist or something like yes, that from the Lamb yes, it does. Broadway. But the thing is, when you start listening to this, I thought immediately, mm. oh, this is going to be another sort of down, depressing track that's very deep and about deep issues. Yeah. Um, and it really isn't, is it? Well, what do you think it's about? Here's the funny thing, right? <laughs> when you look at the lyrics and the way it's done, it sounds like there's some sort of plague which is very prevalent at the moment or some sort of some sort of infection going on in a crowd making them twitch mm. and writhe. Yeah. But I think it's actually describing a rave or a concert. Do you? Yeah, well, apparently it's the way he's describing the people moving in gyrating, and they play the music yeah. to keep them under control. And there's people coming in from outside who are trying to crash it. It sounds like a mm. rave going on or something. Well, apparently, from interviews with Peter, that it's about St Vitus' dance, which is a neurological affliction that causes people to twitch uncontrollably. It's usually in children, so it's it's kind of a combination of the two things you've said, like an infection and a dance. It basically causes random jerking motions. Mm. Um, I, I, I know that's what it kind of sounds like it's about, and it probably indeed is, but it's sung in such a, a nice way, because you originally yeah. expected it to be dark, and it really isn't the yeah. way it's produced after that. And yeah. I just didn't get... I thought the lyrics might be about making something sound like one thing, but it's about another if you know what I mean. Yeah. And that's why I thought it was more about concerts and concert goers writhing yeah. and twitching, but then quietened down by the music when that starts. Yeah, I guess. If you look at the lyrics, he's got the, towards the end, it says, we've tried potions and wax and dolls, but none of us could find any cures. It sounds more like a medieval sort of witch doctor or apotheker, apothecary. Apothecary. Yeah. You're breaking those um, teeth in for that horse again. Yeah. Um... But I, I think if you if you look at it in terms of it being about St Vitus' dance, it actually makes a lot of sense of some of the odder lyrics. The one thing that doesn't, though, mm -hmm. is it says, what can I do to stop this plague spread by sight alone? So, yeah, so part of that is well, maybe it is about a dance concert where people start dancing uncontrollably. Who will ever but, know? I mean, let's be fair, a lot of this album is very... It's very hard to tie down what some of the tracks are about. Yes, it is, yeah. I mean, a lot of them are about relationships and sex. Yeah. In fact, the majority of them seem to be about relationships of one kind or another. Be honest. The majority of Peter Gabriel's songs, full stop, are about relationships and sex. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's about there's about three tracks on here that aren't about a relationship of some kind, aren't there? Yeah, and this is one of them. Yeah, this is one of them. But I, I really like this track. It's 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 nice. Yeah. It's, it's mostly, I think, because you expect it to be um, uh, depressing when it starts, or at least deep. But it really mm. isn't. It, it really becomes alive and becomes exciting and interesting. And it's a nice, yeah. it's a nice sound as well. 
but let's yeah, not forget really... the other thing is you start this track starts off and you think when it first starts off oh he's just using stuff he didn't do on the lamb or he's carrying stuff on and i know we talked last week about hackett's first album how it wasn't that different from what genesis were doing Mm. This starts, and you think, oh, he's doing the same thing. He's not really branching out. He's carrying on the mm. same sort of thing. Yeah. But it rapidly comes evident that he's really doing his own thing on this. Yeah, I mean, th- let's be honest. This track is the most proggy track Peter Gabriel will ever do. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna argue that point with you. Yeah. Because I think one of the other tracks on here is much more proggy. Do you? But we'll get to that when we get to it. I do, actually. Uh, yeah, but well, I think this is probably the proggiest he's ever been. Um, and it just makes me wonder if, you know, you've never heard of Peter Gabriel before. You listen to the radio, you hear Salisbury Hill, you think, what a great song that's, a brilliant song that is. I'm going to buy that album. And then this comes on. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to throw you for a loop, isn't it, this one? <laughs> it totally it's is. not like that track. It's, And that's the one thing about this album. Mm. Every track is so different. Yeah. And as we, go, as we go through these, you'll see that. Yeah. But it's like, when we were talking last week about Hackett's first album, mm. and it was all pretty much samey, yeah. not, a, not in a bad way, but, you know, it, it had a theme musically. Yeah. This album is quite clear that Peter is trying absolutely everything until he finds what he's looking for. Yeah. No, no pun intended. Yeah. But you know, he's really trying everything on this album, and that, yeah. that I think that's great because it shows that when he decided to go solo, is because he really did want to try something different. Yeah, I mean, one of the criticisms that the the music press said about this album, one of the few, is that the songs weren't consistent with each other. They were all great songs but they didn't sound as if they were all from the same album. I think that's the strength of this album. I do as well, yeah, I agree. I mean, like I say, it generally got good press. Yeah, but, it's yeah. a real journey, this album. I mean, it's, it's he's trying lots of different styles, mm. and you have to run to keep up yes. with, the, with the various things he's trying here. And you can't settle down and listen to this album, because mm. every, every track is a key change and a style change and a tonal change. You're just constantly trying to keep up with what Pete's trying to explore here. Yeah, exactly. I love it for that. I love I, it for that. I, I absolutely love this track. I think it's a great opening to the album, and I think it's a great track on the album. Love it. It is, because I think partially I, the reason I love this track is because it does lull you into thinking it's going to be more of the same, and then it just goes, wait a minute, it's not. We're going out there. And you yeah. just, you just now you know you're along for a ride. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of which, it lulls you into that sense of security and then it drops the next track on you, which is Salisbury Hill. Still, 
Now, I defy anybody not to like this track. Yeah, it's a good song, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's one for the mums and the pops and the kids and the, yeah. the boppy teenagers. Well, maybe not the boppy teenagers, but, <laughs> you know, almost yeah. everybody else. And unbelievably, he considered leaving it off the album. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. He liked the song, but he was, he was considering not putting it on the album at all, not releasing it wow. at all. So. That's odd, because this is quite obviously the single. Yeah, definitely. I mean, When you listen to the rest of the album, it, this is the one you turn back to and go, that's the one we put out. Yeah, there there's, go. Go, there's no argument in it, is there? Yeah. No, it didn't. It got to number 13 in the charts, so it was a bona fide hit single, and it was a, a hit single before Genesis managed to get a hit single. I mean, it, it doesn't sound great now when you talk about number 13 in the charts. You think, is that all, number 13? Mm -hmm. But you have to remember, at that time, Bands were, were selling so many records yeah. that to get to number 13, you had already sold thousands and thousands of copies of the single. Yeah, it was yeah. a tough gig to get to number one back then. And even getting in the top 30 was a major achievement back then. Yeah, exactly. It beat Genesis's highest chart placing so far, which was I Know What I Like. Um, and Genesis would not have a, a bigger hit for a few years yet. Now, this, this track, it's an, it is an interesting track, because when you first hear it, Especially when you listen to the first half of the lyrics, it almost feels like it's going to be a religious track. You know, yeah. it seems like a religious awakening in somebody. Mm. Yeah. Um, but then as it goes on, it's not really about that, is it? It's about, yeah. I think it's about coming to terms with your own self and finding your own feet. Well, if you look online, there are loads of people who claim that this is about Pete Gabriel having a, uh, a spiritual experience on top of Salisbury Hill, which is just... It's rubbish. Well, I don't, I don't get that at all. I think it, it pretends to be that, but it's actually more about you having an epiphany and just figuring out where you are in the world. I can see why people might think that, but he's on many occasions has stated that it's about leaving Genesis. Um, and more specifically, it's about being prepared, in his own words, it's about being prepared to lose what you have for what you might get. So... Whilst sort of peripherally, yeah, it's about leaving Genesis. It's also about, like you say, coming to terms with yourself and accepting what you need to do for yourself. It's not spiritual. So it's like when you're at the supermarket and you think the queue next to you is moving faster, so you <laughs> go into that queue. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On the off chance that it might be better. Yeah. You lose your position. Never is faster, though, is it? It always slows down immediately as you go to it. Exactly. Just admit that the queue you are in is always going to be the slowest queue, no matter how much you jump around. But he's stated that many, many times in interviews, that that's what it's about. And still people say, no, it's about him having a spiritual experience, and it's about Jesus Christ, or it's about God. Uh, one interpretation I did see, which, which I have to be honest, was my initial thing that I thought it was about was about somebody in a mental institution um, and being collected yeah so, you know, funnily enough that, that was one of the notes I put down when I was when I was reviewing this album I, I was listening to this and I thought is it about somebody with mental issues going through therapy in some way yeah that is I that interpretation I think is fairly valid but then again considering um, what Pete was going through when he left Genesis yeah. I, I think you can swap and change both of those things here. Yeah, exactly. Because he, mentally he wasn't in a good place, was he? No, he wasn't. No. But spiritual experience, no, I don't think there's any evidence for that. I think that's that's people who have religion. Yeah. 
not to disparage those people. I think it's them putting that interpretation onto Everybody's it. always going to put their own interpretation on these things. But leaving all that to uh, one side, yes. still a great track. I love this track. It is an absolutely fantastic song. It's one um, of those, when it comes on the radio, you start smiling. Yeah. With that uh, iconic acoustic guitar intro yep. yeah. uh, that comes in, which, which I really like, actually. That comes in, and then each verse adds more instruments. Yeah. Until you get that that fade out at the end, where he's got weird sort of almost monkey noises going on in the background. Yeah, that was the other thing that made me think it might be about a madhouse. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that you know what I'm saying. Uh, that they, he was hearing sounds <laughs> rather than the fact that mad people yeah. sound like monkeys. Yes. Yeah. Just digging myself out of that hole. Uh, Robert Fripp doesn't play on this track at all. It's one of the few tracks on the album he doesn't play on at all, although he is credited as playing on it, and he's often said that he wished he had played on it, but he didn't play it. It's a great track. I'd say I played on it even if I hadn't. I would as well. It's great. I did play on it, actually. Me too. Yeah, I did the little... (laughs) I did the monkey noises at the end. Yeah, me too, me too, yeah. (laughs) Sadly, I wasn't trying to do monkey noises. (laughs) There's a really, really bad cover version of this by Erasure. I don't know if you've ever heard it. I have not. turns it into a bit of an electro pop. Oh, that's a lovely treat for you to go and discover. Would you like to play a bit of that for everybody now? Climbing up on Salisbury Hill Well, that was awful. And to clear our palette, yes. shall we go on to Modern Love? Yeah, the second single from the album, Modern Love.
change on this. Yeah. He really is trying everything here, isn't he? It is. It's, it's surprisingly rocky for Peter Gabriel. Um, at the time... It's a surprisingly, it's a surprisingly modern sound, it isn't is, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Actually, yeah, it is. It would fit in nowadays, I think, as well. Um, but he was listening to a lot of Bruce Springsteen at the time. Um, and you can really... He'll hear the Bruce Springsteen influence in this track, I think. I don't get that because I quite like no, it. I like Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen's all right. I hate Bruce Springsteen, really. Do you? Well, I went to a party many, many years ago. Yeah. And uh, it was with my mate Keith. And he says, Oh, he's having like a party. Do you want to come? Yeah. And I went, Yeah, yeah. And I went, Bring a sleeping bag. We're stopping overnight. It'll be great. So we did. And we got there. And mm. this guy mm. only had Springsteen. That's all he had. And I spent the entire day and a half listening to Bruce bloody Springsteen. <laughs> Can't stand it now. Needless to say, well, well, it wasn't a great party. Well, I like I quite like Bruce Springsteen, but uh, but yeah, but you can. You haven't been stuck. You haven't been stuck in a house with nothing but Bruce Springsteen. I have not. That's true. I probably would hate him in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a great song. I really like this track. Lyrically, it sounds like it's a companion piece to Counting Out Time from the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Do you think? Because it's all yeah, it's all sexual innuendo, isn't There's it? There's a lot of sexual innuendo, but it's 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 also about infidelity, isn't it? From both. It's, in, it's not, don't you think? I don't, I don't think. No, it's where counting out time is about rail trying to get sex, basically. Yeah. This is also about somebody frustrated in that aim. Yeah, but it's somebody who's going elsewhere for it, and then. Disappointed, huh? Yeah, but then disappointed that the people he's going to are also going off yeah. to find it. But, so it's just about the con the constant cycle of infidelity and yeah. relationships. And well, lyrically, it sounds like a companion to Counting Out Time to me. Hmm. Um, almost a sequel. <laughs> also, it sounds like a bit of a confession, to be honest. Yeah, it does actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a great track. Didn't do at all well as a single. Um, it didn't chart at all which is surprising because it's a really nice track music it is but it's not salisbury hill is it it's certainly <laughs> not salisbury hill but this was what 77 77 yeah we've said this many times before i mean this was the era of disco disco was at its peak mm. about this point and this is as we've just said earlier this is a track that if it was released yesterday you wouldn't be surprised it wouldn't sound dated no apart from uh, some of the instruments which probably you wouldn't get away with now because it would sound too prog rock um, but I mean, tonally, this could have been released yesterday. Yeah. yeah so at I the agree. time, it probably did sound a bit weird. Quite possibly. But for it not to chart at all is a bit of a surprise to me. You'd have thought people who liked Salisbury Hill would have at least bought the follow up single to see what it was like. You would have thought, yeah, yeah. So when you but say it didn't chart at all, do you mean didn't chart at all? At all. What, both sides it of the pond? No, anywhere. Didn't do anything anywhere. Wow, that's surprising. Because it's a, it's a great track. It's a good choice for a single yeah, as well, I think. It's well sung, it's well produced, it's well played. There's nothing wrong with this track. Funny you should mention that it's well sung, because um, the, the single had an interesting label, which had Pete naked in the Vitruvian Man pose. Uh, and the hole where you put the single onto the deck poked through the, the holder <laughs> and made me look very excited. <laughs> very nice. So, very nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it didn't have a picture sleeve. It just had, you know, the, the typical um, 
paper sleeve with that label showing. So I think with the sound of it, I'm rather glad it didn't have a picture sleeve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there you go. But it also had a video made for it. They recorded it in the shopping centre in Shepherd's Bush that was under construction. Features Peter dressed in American football gear, um, and he's going up. At one point, he gets taped to a pillar, uh, and he's also features him running up and down one of the very first escalators in the UK. That fits perfectly with the with the track. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But didn't didn't do anything as a single. Bit of a shame because I think it's a great. I think song. it's a corker. So that leads us on to the next track, which is "Excuse Me." Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. You're wearing out my schwadavi. Grabbing those good years again I want to be alone Excuse me I'm not the man I In. Again, I wanna be alone. Excuse me, please. I'm looking for lost angels, soaking up the sin. Again, I wanna be alone. I want. It's fair to say that whilst you were listening to this album, you were expecting experimental stuff, but nobody ex- <laughs> Sorry, I just thought I'd add a bit of tuba back into your, what you were yeah. saying there. But I think nobody expected a barbershop quartet. No, they didn't. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Wow. There's not much you can say about that, is it? It's... It, it, it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where did that come from? Don't know. You just think, <laughs> what, what? What? Where did this come from? I mean, it's a it's, yeah. again. I like this track. It's, yeah, a, it's a fun it's a little fun track, little track, it? and there's a great banjo sound to it, and tuba, and a little yeah. nice plinking of guitar halfway through, which is quite yeah. nice. Um, yeah, the tuba was played by Tony Levin. Oh right, okay. So. But it's it's, a, <laughs> it's an oddity. This track, it really does stick out on this album. Well, or it would if it wasn't for the fact that the rest of the album is also so experimental. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this, like you said in the intro, this is the uh, only track that he wrote with Martin Hall to get recorded. So all the great wordplay and things, that's Martin Hall rather than Peter Gabriel. Um, but yeah, it's odd. Yeah, but it's fun. <laughs> it's a nice, fun track. But again, it shows uh, Peter's... To the mind of Peter Gabriel. It is. It, it really does show how quirky... Peter Gabriel is mm. and will remain to a certain yeah. extent. But the most important thing about that is it's quirky, but it doesn't come across as forced. No, quirky. there's no. It doesn't come across as, hey, look at me, guys. I'm really quirky. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. It's. No, it's not crazy. Yeah. It's, it's just oddity. It's, it's, just it's an oddity. It's just 
Ah, it makes oh, you it, okay. again. It's another track that makes you stop and think about it because it's okay. so totally different from the one previous and the one that will follow it. Um, ah, and you can exactly. say that about almost every track on this album. You can't get a yeah. handle on this album yet. Yes, no, exactly. It keeps you guessing and it keeps you thinking and it keeps you just when you think you're getting a grip on it. You think, okay, we've had the the prog rock thing and he that's almost you know Moribund the Burgmeister is almost Peter Gabriel saying right you want prog rock there's prog rock I'm not doing that again here's a pop song here's a more rocky pop song so just as you think you're getting a grip on the album of where it's going and what it's going to do bam yeah. <laughs> here's a barbershop quartet <laughs> enjoy yeah. yeah but I, I like and this track wrong. I like this track I love this track. it's a it's, it's it's a good it's a great it track. is a great track I really enjoy this track there's a really funny story about this track, which I think is from Richard McPhail's um, autobiography. And basically, they're on tour in Germany, and they got to the border, and the German border guards didn't believe that they were a band. And because they all had really close crop shaved heads at the time, thought they were drug dealers or terrorists, so they took them to one side and basically confined them and wouldn't believe that they were a band. So they performed an a cappella version of this track to prove that they were actually a band. Wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have any instruments or anything. They were just, they'd gone on separately. The, the, all the instruments were in the, the trucks. Um, and the, yeah, they thought they were terrorists. And to prove they weren't terrorists, they basically performed this track. So, hint there, if you're a terrorist and you're trying to go across a border, learn a cappella. Something acapella, acapella. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But yeah, so a completely different track. Next track, again, completely different, and it's humdrum. Hey Valentina, you want me to beg? You got me cooking. I'm a hard-boiled egg in the humdrum. In the humdrum, empty my mind. I find it hard to cope. Listen to my heart. Don't need no stethoscope. Climax, I think so I, that really it builds up, and then you can just imagine the the needle lifting, and you get perfect end to that side of the album. I yeah, think. again, a typically a typically ambiguous Peter Gabriel lyric, lots of sexual innuendo. Yeah, 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 plenty of that. But again, I mean, again, yeah. we're off on a different tangent musically, aren't we? This is almost a calypso. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, odd. I mean, it's, it's another odd track, and again, keeping you on your left foot. Yeah, exactly. 
It's almost um, like this album to is me, trying to defy description, isn't it? Yeah, you can see the criticism that a lot of the reviewers had at the time of it being too eclectic in styles because it really is jumping all over the place from one thing to another. But that's not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. And all of them are good, but it is... There's no... It's almost like there's no consistency of style. Isn't that, the, isn't that the best thing about um, going off and doing your own own thing? That you can yeah. throw things against the wall until something sticks and you can try different things. Surely it's the purely the main reason for going solo is that you can try different things. And this is this is yeah, a exactly. prime example of what you can do if you're not given any boundaries that most people get in a normal album. They have to follow a certain yeah, exactly. theme and sound a certain way. He's come in, said, I'm yeah. going to do my own album and I'm going to try everything and it's up to you whether you like it and here it is. Yeah, great. I mean, I, Excuse Me would never have got onto a Genesis album. No. Never in a No, years. or indeed probably um, a later Peter Gabriel album. No. Because um, it, it does kind of settle down and have albums where the themes they all sound similar you can tell which albums attracts off yeah. but but this one it's putting it out there like you say he's finding his feet um uh, for me i like this track but for me this is the weakest track on the album i think if the, if this was on any other artist's album it would be one of the best tracks on the album but in terms of the this collection of songs i think this is the weakest one uh, i'll argue that one later there, there's another track coming up which is fine but I actually get bored listening to it. Okay. But this um, one, this one, I have no problems with. It's it's a fine little track. Cool. So move on to the next track. Slow burn. This, I think, is the prog rock track of this album. Yeah, I mean, it's another rocky one. I suppose this is more the rock side of prog rock, whereas Moribund the Burgermeister is the progressive side of prog rock, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I particularly like this one. I mean, it's got a great chorus. <laughs> you can't deny it's got a great chorus. Um, yep. but I think it's probably the most Genesis-sounding track on here as well, um, with the exception of the chorus, which is quite mm -hmm. lively. I think the actual verses of this could have fit on almost any Genesis album. Yeah. It's almost but not quite a Genesis sound. Mm -hmm. I can imagine if Peter had stayed with Genesis that this is similar to how they would have turned out. Very probably, I think, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's uh, yeah. So apart from the chorus, I think a lot of the music does start to sound a little prog-rocky, and I've got no problem with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think this is probably the most prog-rock track on here. And mm. I, I, I like this. 
just Thank so you. I can sing along with the chorus, to be perfectly frank. Yeah, great opener to the second side of the album. Apparently, there's a longer version of this track. Is there? A company called Direct Disc Labs released a vinyl remaster of this album, and they took it from the master tapes, and the master tape version of this is about... 40 seconds longer it's got a longer introduction oh wow okay i'd like to hear that i would as well i've never heard it myself but apparently that's that's yeah about 40 seconds longer so i might dig that it's probably on youtube somewhere but the slow burn leaves you waiting for a big one i thought it was the big one complete change of style and tempo it is this one sounds almost exactly like a randy newman song yeah it's jazz isn't it i don't know if you've listened to much randy newman not as Um, much as i would like to have not heard (laughs) randy newman's all right but randy newman of this time period was doing things like sail away which sounds so much like this the way he performed the way peter gabriel performs this the music the clever wordplay it's randy newman all over yeah so this is the longest track on this album and it feels like it's after a while it's it's a great Mm. start and i like the sound but after about five minutes of this i'm thinking and can we go on to the next track now? It's got a great guitar solo. Oh, yeah, it has got a great guitar solo. And I've got nothing against this track. It's a fine track. I just think it's about three minutes too long. Yeah, fair enough. I, just, I, I mean, just get bored after about five minutes of this. The lyrics kind of keep me engaged with it because all the clever puns and the funny wordplay keeps me interested in what what's going on. But, yeah, it does go on quite a long time. <laughs> but then, I mean, you say that about the lyrics, but... Most of the lyrics throughout this album have been that way, haven't they? Yeah, that's true. There's, there's been no album, there's been no track on this album where the lyrics haven't engaged you in one way or another. They've all been interesting. This one in particular, though, is all clever wordplay. I mean, there's nothing in this that's about anything. It's all about the clever wordplay. Yeah. And that kind of that, that keeps me entertained. I particularly um, like the use of the word hoi polloi. I don't think that gets used <laughs> enough. That's the whole thing, you know. Once I was the credit to my credit card. 
and things like, you know, What's sure hope that Moses knows his roses. I was just about to say that line. I mean, what the hell does that mean? But that's the thing. It's not about anything, but it's fun. I like it. I mean, I, I like this. Like a, like a yes track. Yeah, almost, yeah exactly. Mm. Exactly. It, 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 um, the song isn't about anything. It's just the use of words. Yeah. I like the way that this is a kind of a lounge lizard, almost, style track. And when Genesis do this in 1978, on, and then there were three, it's Say It's All Right, Joe. And that turns into a proper keyboard prog solo. And this turns into a big blues guitar solo. Yeah. Just the contrast between the two approaches to a similar style of song. I think it's really interesting. Say It's All Right, Joe, though, is, as you say, it's a smoky barroom track. This is a jazz club track, isn't it? But they're similar, though. So. Providing you like but... drinking and going around various dingy clubs. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You can imagine you walk out of the Say It's All Right Joe bar and into a different bar, and this is playing instead. <laughs> you could. You could. Yeah, Peter Gabriel at a piano. What kind of clubs <laughs> do you go to? Well, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> if I walked into a club and Peter Gabriel was on the piano, I'd stay at that club. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be moseying on, unless, of course, Genesis were playing next door. I've just walked out of the Genesis one. Why would you do that? <laughs> Crazy boy. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do like this song. I agree with you that it is a little bit long, but I don't think it outstays its welcome. I think it maintains its, it maintains its length admirably. No, do you like, <laughs> that's do you like that? That's very good. Gabriel, eh? Very, very yeah, good. That's a, yes, 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 very smutty. Yes, and and now halfway through, I'm waiting for the next track, which is down the Dolce Vita. Down the Dolce Vita, isn't it? Down the Dolce Vita. This has got a very dramatic intro. Oh my goodness me. Do you think this is the heaviest track Peter Gabriel ever does? Intro wise, yes. Mm. Then it goes kind of disco-y for a very small point. Yeah, that disco And then it changes yet again. It's certainly an interesting track, this one. It's, It's kind of all over the shop. I think it's probably one of the most interesting musically on the whole album. Yes, I would agree, it is. It's like nothing he'll record again. It's like nothing he's recorded before, but it's just so dramatic. 
It is. It is. I, I love this track. This is a great yeah, track. It's it's brilliant. Um, this is one of the tracks that features the London Symphony Orchestra. Oh, is it really? Is that what the, where the intro is? That's an actual live orchestra rather than a synthesizer. Or, well, I've, or, you know, when, it, when you listen to the intro, it's clear that it's a proper orchestra and not a synthesized orchestra. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a grand opening to this track. And which is fine because it's a grand track. It swirls in, comes in like a thunderstorm, and yeah, wow. Floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee. La Dolce Vita, obviously, is the name of the film. Yep. Um, it's Italian for The Good Life. It is. So, this is a song about the BBC sitcom The Good Life. Um, it is not. <laughs> Otherwise, there'd be more lyrics about growing your own vegetables. Tom and Marjorie coming round. <laughs> Jesus. It's probably about that. I don't think it is. No, it's not that at all. It's actually part of the Mozo cycle of songs, which have you... Do you know about this? Not a clue. Do educate me. So Mozo was a character that Peter Gabriel invented, and he'd intended to write a, um, a concept album or a stage show about this character called Mozo. So Mozo basically appears when people need him, helps them, and then disappears. A little bit like Doctor Who. I was thinking more like the guy out of Mr. Ben. Maybe, but he he did that, and there are several tracks across all of Peter Gabriel's solo works which fit into this Mozo cycle. So you've got this track, you've got On the Air from Peter Gabriel 2, and Exposure from Peter Gabriel 2, you've got Red Rain and that voice again, and various other tracks scattered around. And basically the story, this particular story, that Mozo would have been involved with, uh, involved in is about people suddenly becoming telepathic and being able to read minds. So that's what the story was going to be about, and Mozo was going to come in and help them out. I don't want to read your mind. I don't think I could put up with the constant rain of filth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so this, this was part of the Mozo cycle, which never got officially done, but he's... Peter Gabriel often said, yeah, this, this is, fits into that same idea. Cool, okay. But there's two characters mentioned in this who are... So Aaron and Gorham... Two characters mentioned in this who are part of the story of Mozo. Um, so that's why those two random names suddenly appear in this in the lyrics to this song. But a few other songs here have odd names thrown into them, don't they? They do, yeah. Morrie Bunny. Like the Burger Master. Master. Yeah. Yeah. So that leads into Here Comes the Flood, which is another part of the Mozo song. On the tall cliffs, they were getting older, sons and daughters. Jaded underworld was riding high Waves of steel, of metal at the sky And as the nail sunk in the cloud The rain was warm and soaked the crowd Bye. 
actor's gone There's only you and me And if we break now, this is the track that Gabriel always thought was overproduced. Yeah, yeah. So there are... Uh, Weirdly, I don't feel that. I don't as well. I'm, I mean, I like the stripped-down versions. There's a version of this on Robert Fripp's solo album called Exposure, and there's a version he released on a, a best-of compilation called Shaking the Tree, which is just Peter Gabriel on the piano. And that's the mm. version he usually plays live. They're his preferred versions, but I like both of those versions. But this version's brilliant as well. It just builds to such a bombastic finish it does it's got a great chorus i love a good chorus as you know and this has got a great chorus but it's also got after about halfway through you get this wonderful musical piece which i think is is underrated yeah but can you imagine finishing the album on the really stripped down piano vocal only version of this track no i don't think i don't think it'd be quite as good i mean this is a great musical piece i mean take away the 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 beginning where all the lyrics are and then you're left with this musical which is a fine musical piece leaving that out of, of this song would be like unfinishing it yeah the album finishes leaving you wanting more from it because it's so it just blows you away you know you're sitting there listening to your record this ends it's going to be a couple of minutes before you get up to change the record because it just knocks your socks off it's quite clearly the last track on the album as you listen to it yes it's a finale track it's the end but it's one that leaves you wanting more it's it doesn't fade off like like some genesis uh albums they have a track that fades towards the end this doesn't really fade towards the end in the same way because it's so bombastic and it's so great to listen to i mean this really does you listen to it you're in no two minds that this is the last track it feels like it but at the same time you wish there was another track following it yeah exactly just leaves you wanting more it's just just it's so emotional as well yeah in a different way to the the piano vocal version is emotional this is just so it's almost like chest beatingly emotional it is it is you know you want to stand in in the rain and shout this song out at the top of your voice because it's so good you got arrested last time you did that because you were naked in the street shouting this out loud yeah yeah i shouldn't i'm not allowed to do that anymore you are not allowed to do that anymore no so remember next time you go out in the street shouting this pants on Mm. Yeah, I remember. Sorry. Sorry, everybody who was affected by that. If you've been affected by this issue... <laughs> <laughs> I have, actually, yes. Um, but yeah, so, like I say, this is part of the Mozo cycle. So this is about... this. The flood it's referring to is the flood of emotions and thoughts that people are being hit with. It's about you know, suddenly being open um, to everybody's minds, basically. And it's saying that, you know, those who are honest, those that are open and honest who don't hide anything, they're the ones that are going to survive. But those hiding secrets will be exposed. Be those who give that island to survive, are. drink up dreamers, running dry. Anyway, so the, the guitar solo on this is by a guy called Dick Wagner. Sorry? Um, and he worked with Alice Cooper. <laughs> yeah, I'm not repeating that. Uh-huh. Uh, he worked with Alice Cooper, Lou Reed, and also with Kiss. Was that his name or what, what he was up in court for? Dick Wagner? Yeah. <laughs> Dick Wagner, yeah. Yeah, it was the 70s. Yeah. It was a different time. Uh, different time. You could get away with a lot then. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely uh, love this track. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a great end to this album. But as we've it said, is. it leaves you wanting more. It absolutely does. Um, perfect choice for a last track. Yeah, none of the other tracks on this album would have worked as the last track. No, no, not at all. No, but this one, yeah, it's a, it's a great finale of a piece. It is. 
It is. So, shall we talk about the full album now then? Yeah. So that's the whole album, Simon. What did you think? I really like that. What a really strong debut solo album. It's not that it was a strong debut debut, debut album, because it, it truly is. But as I said earlier, you know, if you're going to leave a good, established, money-making band to do something mm. unique and original, this is the kind of album you'd do. This is so far removed from Genesis that there's no way you could mistake this for a Genesis album, even though Peter Gabriel's singing it. No mm. way at all. No, no, not at all. And it's... it's, it's, not, it's some of the solo albums we're going to be listening to, as we've already listened to Steve Hackett. The Steve Hackett album. Which sounds more like more Genesis. Sounds like a lost Genesis album. This... This is not a lost Genesis album. This is so... No, not not at any point in Genesis' career does anything sound like this album. Yeah. And it's it truly is a solo album because it's so experimental. Yeah. This is what should what every person who leaves a band to go solo should be trying to do. Something unique, something original, yeah. something experimental. Mm. And this covers all of those bases, doesn't it? It does, yeah, it does. All of that. So here's a question for you then. Um, with that in mind do you think he's still prog rock at this point oh. yes i do um because if anything on this album you may not have some of the themes and some of the use of musical instruments that we're familiar with in a lot of yeah. prog rock but if anything says progressive mm. it's this album yeah i mean we we've obviously we've talked it's about the, it many times in the past yeah on the it's the true definition of progressive yeah, exactly it's progressive because it's changing it's progressing styles of music it's making something different and it's also it's adding to that whole scene it's not just copying the same things it's doing something new and adding to it yeah and there's there's so much variety on this album it's an actual feast yeah it's a great it's a real eclectic mix of styles um the one thing i would say about it is it's a brilliant album it's a brilliant album from a brilliant artist but it does, with the different mix of styles, it does come across a little bit as him trying to find his feet, which is not a bad thing. Um, and it's going to take him another album at least until he finally settles down into a style that he's happy with. Yeah, and one that we will see for a great many years yeah, in the future. One that will influence the rest of his career. For, for, the, for this first album, he's obviously trying to find where he fits now. Yeah, but at no point in this album does it feel raw or unthought out or unproduced properly yeah. this is a classic yeah, exactly. this is a class album exactly although it's like like i said it's a, it's a mix of styles it's not like he's he's done a prog rock track and then he's done a reggae track and then he's done a disco track and then he's done a, a, a barbershop quartet <laughs> yeah they're not they although they are disparate they're not it's not like they don't come together. It's not like they're, they're very obviously part of the same album, even though they are different styles and different tempos, but they do feel like they all belong on this album because yeah. it's an album of trying things. Yes. And you are aware of that, and it gels together as a I am trying things yeah. album. Yeah. And, you know, at no point do you feel like this album was cobbled together. No, definitely It not. feels like it flows together yeah. in a series of experiments yeah. rather than 
five or six tracks that recorded 10 years apart yeah. by 57 different people jammed together on one album. Yeah. This is quite clearly a single experiment. I mean, he's obviously worked on it, because if he hadn't, it would have been very easy for him to cash in, make a quick album with the tracks he'd already written and recorded in 76 with Ant Phillips and Mike Rutherford and Phil Collins. He could have easily done that. He probably would have had a hit album anyway, but instead he's effectively written an album and thrown it away and then started again. And this is what we've got. Yeah. So this is, in effect, this is his second album. He just didn't release his first. Yeah. <laughs> but overall then, like this album? That, that is a tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this album. Yeah. It's fresh. It's, I think because you were expecting more of a Genesis sound, yeah. this hits you between the eyes. It's so different from what you could have expected yeah. from Peter Gabriel at this point. Yeah. And it's fresh and it's exciting and it's invigorating and it's bold and it's bombastic in places and it's interesting and there's styles of music keep constantly changing you can't help but really like this album i mean i think the thing that excites me most about it is that fact that like you said earlier if you've only heard salisbury hill and you buy this album you're going to get blown away by that first track more than the burgmeister because it's going to be so far removed from what you're expecting but that also applies to genesis fans because yeah, if you're yeah. a Genesis fan and you just love Genesis, oh, Peter Gabriel's solo album's out, I'm going to buy that. It's just nothing like Genesis either. So it surprises no. everybody. Whatever side of the, the tracks you're coming from to this album, it's not what you'd expect. He left Genesis to try a new sound, and he's found so many new sounds here, yeah. and none of them are like what anybody was expecting, yeah, I think. Exactly, and he's, he's going to build on this. Uh, he's only going to get better, I think. Yeah. And this is a great... And it's, it's a- to be fair, it's hard to imagine how you could get better mm. because he's trying everything here. Yeah. But they're all brilliant. Yeah. There's not a bad track on this album. Mm. How many people can release an album, yeah. their first album essentially, yeah. and say all the tracks are brilliant tracks? This is this is a great album. Yeah. So, right, let's do solo leaderboard, right? So we've listened to Steve Hackett. Right. Is this better than Voyage of the Acolyte or worse than Voyage of the Acolyte? Huh. A tough question, and only tough because I'm dragging this out because it isn't a question. This is so much better, so much better. This is this is an incredibly complicated, diverse album. Mm-hmm. Whereas Voyage of the Acolyte, while good, mm-hmm. was more of the same. Okay, I, and this is this is definitely an experiment yeah. and a and a brilliantly done. Yes, I agree. Um, so the leaderboard at the moment then is Peter Gabriel one in first place. Steve Hackett's Voyage of the Acolyte in second place. We'll see how that goes along oh. on the next few. Oh, is that, is that going to change it? What's the next album we're doing? The next album is Tony Banks's A Curious Feeling. Oh, will that be better or worse or in the middle? Tune in. We'll have to wait till next time and find out. It's so exciting. I'm absolutely excited. So, homework for the next episode is to listen to Tony Banks' first solo album, which is called A Curious Feeling from 1979. Okay, I'll have a listen to that. Yeah, so... Is it any good? You're not going to answer that, are you? You're going to make me listen to it. No spoilers. not going to spoil it for anybody. <sighs> but that will be our next episode. So, thanks for tuning in for this Peter Gabriel love fest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit, it was wasn't a bit, it? It was a bit, yeah. And uh, you can join us in the next episode to find out what we think of Tony Banks' first solo album. Uh, so take care, listeners. Stay safe. Yep, take care. And join us next time. Bye. Bye.
Sorry, what did you say? I wasn't listening. I was looking at the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> looking at the pretty pictures. Um, 